Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Keith Phillips, and welcome to another episode of K10 Music and Memories, the podcast that gives you information as well as my personal reminiscences about popular music from the last seven decades. This is episode three. The first episode was the 50s. The second episode was the 60s. So if you can do the math, this episode is going to be our first foray into the 1970s. This was the decade I was born, the decade we lived in California, and until recently, the decade that my mom denied that we ever listened to Top 40 radio. She did it once. But I can prove beyond this episode will prove beyond a reasonable doubt that we did usually have top 40 radio going in the car when we lived in California. Now, let's get right into this with the first track. The first track is happens to be the 40, the one of two only remaining existing 45s from my mom's collection that I have. One of the two 45s is unfortunately Mama Look at Boo Boo by. Harry Belafonte. The other one is the song I'm about to talk about right now. The 45 I have of this is somewhere in a box in my mom's attic. Unfortunately, the jacket was destroyed and this thing has a crack all the way through. But if you line it up right, it will play if you have a record player. Just sounds like it has a huge skip in the middle of it. The song in question is Let It Be by The Beatles. This was Apple single number 2764 released in March of 1970 and it peaked on the bill number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks in April of 1970. Now there are multiple versions of this song. The version that I prefer is the, the original single version. The album version, the anthology version, and a third version that was released on a retooling of the Let It Be album by the group, namely Paul McCartney, stripping all of all of the Phil Spector overdubs and everything off, and it was called Let It Be Naked, was issued a few years back. All of these versions are di- slightly different. There's a different guitar solo, and some of them run a little longer. But the version I prefer is the original single version. The song was inspired by Paul McCartney having a dream about his late mother, the song was covered by Cherry Group, charity group Fairy Aid in 1987, which featured Paul McCartney. This version peaked at number one on the UK charts. The song was also covered in the Beatles-themed movie Across the Universe. Now, this the funny thing about this is my experience with the Beatles, I call the way I learned about the Beatles the Celtabe principle. That's spelled... S-E-L-T-A-E-B. And if you write that down and reverse it, that's Beatles spelled backwards. The reason I call use that term for how I learned about the Beatles, it's because the very first Beatles song I ever heard was one of their last hits, and it was this song. And I had the 45 for years, and I loved it. The only problem, it, the only funny thing was I didn't learn until years later that Let It Be was one of their last hits and not one of their earlier or middle hits. It's a great song. Um, I, like I said, the first time I heard it was on this 45, but I love it. Every time I hear on hear it on the radio, I'll stop the dial and listen to it. 
Um, like I said, I prefer the original single over all the other versions, although all the other versions, like I said, aren't that much different except for a different guitar solo. And one of, I think the anthology version runs a lot longer. I remember, like I said, I got the first non-45 version I had of this was also on my Beatles 20 Greatest Hits cassette that I got when I wanted I Want to Hold Your Hand. I the the song is just absolutely great. I've heard I heard Paul McCartney do it live in concert. He does it at all his concerts. It's absolute absolutely great. And it's one of my all-time favorites. And I have to thank my mom for buying that 45 before I was born. Otherwise I never would have it probably would have taken me a bit longer to find it, but I would have found it eventually. Now we're gonna take a quick 10-second break here, and then we're gonna go to a track which is a decade straddler, but after a lot of painful thought over this one, I left it in the 70s rather than delete it, change tracks, and then go to this one when it was released, not when it became a hit. Be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back. Now we go to our second track. This track was released in October of 69, but didn't peak on the Billboard charts until January of 70. This is one of the first big hits in the 70s. It was also the first national hit and number one for the artist involved. This is I Want You Back by the Jackson Five. This was Motown single number M-1157. This, again, like I said, this is one of those decade straddlers. It was released in the fall of 69 but didn't become a hit until January of 70. Took me a while to think this one over but I decided to leave it in the 70s because it hit number one in January of 1970. It was written by the corporation, a songwriting group headed by Motown founder Barry Gordy Jr. He also created the name the corporation apparently because he was getting in legal trouble over songwriting royalties so rather than fight he decided to create a group name for all the songwriters so nobody was directly credited on the record. This was covered by British artist Graham Parker. I think he called his I Want You Back Alive or something like that, but it was the only cover of it. Now, my I remember hearing this on the radio all the time, but my fondest memories of this particular track are every documentary series about the history of pop music or rock music when they get to the 1970s this the opening riff from this song is one of the first ones you hear they're like and now we're going to talk about the 70s and then you hear the opening riff and you usually either see a live performance of the Jackson 5 doing this song or you see footage from the animate the animated series in the 70s and again, this was their first national hit and their the first number one hit for the Jackson 5. And like I said, you always hear this every time they're talking about, they start talking about the 70s on a documentary on television. As far as music is concerned, this is one of the first tracks that you hear. Because they don't want, because there was a lot of, if you look at the 70s, in the early 70s, there were a lot of ballads and down-tempo music early in the decade. So you got to find the only up-tempo track made in the early 70s that you can use to bridge the gap between the 60s and the 70s, and this is it. 
I like I said, I used to hear this. It was a it was a staple on oldies stations back in the day when 60s and early 70s were de rigueur and before Michael Jackson had all his problems. This was this was one of those tracks you heard quite frequently on the oldies stations. I don't think I've heard it that often lately, but it's easy to find. You just look for a Jackson 5 compilation on iTunes and it's there. That was my first, the first copy I ever got of this song, owned of this song was on a Jackson 5 CD compilation. I never had a cassette. I don't think I ever had a cassette Jackson 5 comp, but I know I got my first one was a CD set. So that's where I got my first own first copy of this. Now we're going to take a quick pause and then we're going to go to one of the most famous easy listening groups of the 1970s and one of their earliest hits. Be back in 10. And we're back. Now we go to track number three. This is one of the earliest hits by one of the most famous easy listening groups of the 1970s. Brother and Sister Act. Karen and the sister Karen was the singer in the group. The act is the Carpenters and the song in question is For All We Know. This was A&M single number AM1243-S. This was released January of 1971. This this uh, record peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. This song was originally from the movie Lovers and Other Strangers, but the Carpenters version was not the one used in the movie. In the film, the song was performed by Larry Meredith, and it did win an Oscar for Best Original Song in 1971. I read that the Carpenters... The Carpenters were asked to sing it at um, at the Oscars, but they either declined or they couldn't do it, and Petula Clark was their chosen fill-in. Now, the first time the first time I heard this song was on Sirius on the '70s channel. I mean, I'd heard the Carpenters before. I heard, you know, "Close to You" and "We've Only Just Begun." Those will probably be covered on a future 70s episode, but this was, I caught this one day out of the blue. I knew it was the Carpenters. I had not really heard this before and I really liked it. And I went to the trouble of grabbing a copy of it because I really, really wanted a copy of it. And I wanted it so much, I got the original album that it was on. And I love it. It's it's in my playlist on iTunes. Um... The good thing about the Carpenters is Karen Carpenter usually doesn't have a high voice, so if you have a low voice, you can sing along with it, not kill your vocal cords in the process. But it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Carpenters tune next to We've Only Just Begun. But like I said, we'll cover more of the Carpenters later, future episodes. Now we're going to take a quick 10-second break, and we're going to get into a track that was the first track that I heard by this artist. And this resulted in one of the, to me, one of the most unusual moments I ever had at any, at a Christmas party in my life. Be back in 10. And we're back. 
next track we're going to talk about is by a singer-songwriter who made made his name in the 1970s, unfortunately died young, but left a lot of hits. And this is his one of his first hits. This is the song, the, the, if, it was either this song or, or his only number one hit was the first song of his I heard. But I believe this is the one that sold me on wanting to get copies of his music. The song in question is Operator, That's Not the Way It Feels by Jim Croce. This was issued as ABC Records single number ABC 11335. This was released September 1972 and it peaked at number 17 in December 1972. The song was covered by Toby Lightman, Diana Krall, Tori Amos, and Garth Brooks, among others. To me, if I had to choose between this and, the, and any of his other songs, this is one of my all-time favorites. I keep it in all my, I try to get it in all my iTunes playlists and whatever, so I have it. Now, I mentioned a Christmas party. You're wondering, why did I mention that? It's because I found Jim Croce when I was real young. I think I started hearing the music in California, and then I heard it more on the oldies station in Pittsburgh when we moved to Pittsburgh. And it was this song and Bad, Bad Leroy Brown, I think, were the only two I heard. I might have heard I'll Have to Say I Love You in the song once or twice, but this is one of the two songs of his that I remember. And I used to love it every time it came on the radio. Now, when we moved to Dayton, my mom joined Welcome Wagon while while we were in Dayton. She joined their bowling league. And for a few years, they had a Christmas party where you brought... You brought your kids, you had lunch. I can't remember whether it was breakfast or lunch, but you had a meal, they had Santa Claus there and every kid in the room got a gift. Now, I believe the gifts were given to Santa by the parents. And one year at this Christmas party, my mom even, well, she helped make, she was making these little Care Bear Christmas ornaments. I think she made them a bunch of originals and then they went and made some what looked like cheap knockoff versions because my mom had put cloth, you know, cloth uh, fingers on them and noses and things. And Welcome Wagon basically drew everything on theirs with a marker. So my mom's were always look way better than look way better done than the ones Welcome Wagon did. But that's beyond the point. One of these Christmas parties I, I remember being at, and I don't know if my brothers were there, but I was there. And you gotta realize when I was in Dayton, I wasn't even a teenager yet. I didn't become a teenager until just before we left to go to Cleveland. And I went to this Christmas party and I went up and talked to Santa and I think he gave me a candy cane and he gave me a gift. And it turns out that I was the only uh, preteen boy, preteen kid in the entire room that walked out of that Christmas party with a cassette tape of Jim Croce's greatest hits. Yes, I wanted it so much that my mom actually went and bought the tape and wrapped it and gave it to Santa to give to me. Yes, I walked out of a a kid's Christmas party with a tape of Jim Croce's greatest hits. Got other kids my age probably were into like Prince or Jay Giles Band or Madonna. I walked out with a cassette tape of Jim Croce's greatest hits. Shows how weird a kid I was. 
Well, we're gonna take 10 seconds and then we're gonna get into the first of a series of three tracks I have listed here as my, as my object evidence for, yes, we did listen to 70s Top 40 radio when we lived in California. Be back in 10. And we're back. Now, our, like I said, we're going to start on the first of three, possibly four. There's a fourth track here that we might have heard in California. I'm pretty sure we did. I just don't remember a specific instance, but we'll get to that. This is the first of a series of tracks, first exhibit of evidence that we listened to Top 40 Radio when we lived in when we lived in California in 1970s, because all of the tracks. The next few tracks I'm about to talk about, I remember hearing on the radio in the car in California in 1970. The first one is Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. This was United Artists single number UAKX, excuse me, UA-X1192Y. This was released March of 1978 and it peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. The song appears on the album City to City. The album version runs over six minutes, and the single edit, which was what you heard on the radio, is just over four minutes. I was able to locate, originally I couldn't find the single version on iTunes. I did find it on a capital comp called Great 70s Hits. This comes up when you search up Baker Street. I had to check, I always check the label the, the comp comes from, because if it comes from KTEL or some label you've never heard before, Chances are everything is a re-record, but because the original single was, the original album was EMI, but the single was UA, and and that's why it ended up on a capital compilation. But it is the right version. The the song is known for its guitar and sax sax riff at the beginning, and there's a diff, there's a second riff in the middle of the halfway through the song where it's a mix of the guitar and the saxophone. Yes, I do remember hearing this in the car on the way at least once, if not more than once, on the way to Sun Valley Mall in Concord or on the way to school because we always had the radio on. And I remember years later, I found the song. And as soon as I heard the sax and guitar riff at the beginning, I remembered I heard that in California in the 1970s. That track... I, I got to tell you, it's one of those lush rock, pop rock tracks. I don't know if you'd call it Yacht Rock, but it's close. I think I saw it on a Yacht Rock compilation on, on um, iTunes, but it's more of a pop rock with a classical edge to it, I would say. And this thing, I... I, I I also have a couple of comps downstairs. I have one, one I got from the Rock and Roll of Fame. It's hard to find CD singles on CD, and it's on there. And I believe that's this also the single edit. I haven't. I'll have to dig it out of the vault to check it. But this is one of the great classic '70s songs, and to me, I can just picture myself sitting in that old blue station wagon, hearing that blaring out of the radio on the way to the mall or wherever we were going. 
Now we're going to take 10 seconds and we're going to get to exhibit B, our next track, which is another song which I vividly recall hearing, hearing in the car on the way to the mall and almost everywhere else when we lived in California in the 1970s. Be back in 10. And we're back. Now let's get into our next track. The song out of all of these exhibits that I do vividly recall hearing on the radio in the car in California in the 1970s. This is Long Tall Glasses, I Can Dance by Leo Sayer. This was Warner Brothers single number WBS 8043. This was released in October 74 and it peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and it was Leo Sayer's first top 10. I remember hearing this in the car on the way to the mall, the chorus of I know I can dance, of course I can dance, with the high sort of falsetto notes at the end. I absolutely remember it, repeatedly. I swear it was like one of the most common tracks that they would play in the car, I have, I could, I remembered it vividly, and that was the only part of the song I could remember. And years later, I got a Rhino 70s comp, and I'm listening to it, and I see this track, Long Tall Glasses I Can Dance by Leo Sayer. So I thought, okay, I'll put that on. And as soon as I heard the chorus, I knew that's the song we used to, that used to play in the car all the time. Sun, on the way to Sun Valley Mall in Concord, California. I can hear Leo Sayer blasting out of those speakers again in the, beat up Ford LTD station wagon singing, of course I can dance, I know I can dance, over and over and over again. Out of all of these, it's probably my favorite track. I do keep it in my iTunes frequently if I want to cue it up. It's probably one of the most, is it to me it's the quintessential, if I was ever to do a movie about and feature our time in the 70s in California, this would probably be one of the tracks that would be featured there. Now we're going to take a quick uh, a quick timeout for 10 seconds, and we're going to get to the third exhibit of, yes, we did listen to Top 40 Radio in the car in the 1970s. Be right back in 10. And we're back. Now we get to exhibit three of, yes, we did listen to Pot Top 40 radio in the 1970s. This is a track that I, re- I remember here, bits and pieces of it I could remember when I was, from when I was a kid, and it took a while to put it together. When I put, up, put together the pieces and found the track, it turned out to be Lido Shuffle by Boz Skaggs. This was Columbia single number 3-10491. This was released in February 1977. Peaked at number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Yes, we did hear this in California. I remembered the chorus, the chorus to this song and the end of the end of every verse. I could clearly recall hearing it on the radio in California in the 1970s. It was one of, it's probably one of, if not Boss Skaggs, is one of his most familiar hits. 
And the B-side of the single in the U.S. is a song called We're All Alone. This song was also a hit in 1977, but not for Boz Skaggs. It was a hit for Rita Coolidge, and we'll get to that somewhere down the line. I will cover that, because that's another one of my 70s favorites, and it's another one that I believe we used to hear on the radio all the time. But this one I remember in the car again, well, you'd be going to the mall or going to the grocery store or something, as long as my mom was in the car. I think my dad used to have different radio tastes at that time, too. And we would hear this. This is one of the many songs that we would hear on the radio. My second favorite Boz Skagg song behind another one, which we'll get to, that he did later, that kept popping up. Every, I practically hear, heard it for a long stretch every morning on the way into work. Next, we're going to take a quick 10-second break, and we're going to get to a track that may also have popped up in the 1970s in California, but I know I heard it on the oldie station too many times to count, and it took years and years later before I got my own, got my own copy of it. Be back in 10. And we're back. Now we're getting into some of the later 70s stuff. And we're getting to a track which is, if there was ever a track other than Staying Alive that epitomized the 70s, 70s pop, it is this one. It's a little thing called Dancing Queen by ABBA. This was Atlantic single, Atlantic single number 45-3372. This was released November of 1976, and it peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and it is ABBA's only number one hit in the United States. The music video for this song has over 408 million views on YouTube as of March 2020. This is ABBA's most recognizable and popular song in their entire repertoire, likely only followed by these days' Mamma Mia. And yes, this song was also in the musical and the movie Mamma Mia. I believe it's the last song they perform in the show. But I know it was, it was performed in Mamma Mia. This, was, this song was covered by the A-Teens, the Glee cast, and Cher, among others. Cher's version just came out recently, not long after Mamma Mia 2 came out in theaters. I'm wondering how many times they can redo Mamma Mia as a sequel. Um, if they go to Mamma Mia 3, I'm going to wonder whether or not they need to find a new artist to do jukebox, mu jukebox musicals for but that's just me. Now, as far as this track, like I said, I, I believe that it was on the radio a lot when we lived in California in the 1970s, because I remember hearing it way back, and I do remember hearing it on the oldie station for years, and it was, it was one of those songs that if we're in the car and it's on the oldie station, it kind of perked, my ears would perk up, and I'd listen to it and try to sing along to it. I didn't get my first copy of this, my own first copy of this song till years later when we moved to Cleveland because the first time I actively went looking for it 
was in Cleveland at the Cuyahoga County Public Library. And I believe this was at the tail end of when most of what they had was on a 33 and a third RPM. Because I remember grabbing a 33 and a third record of vinyl record of ABBA's greatest hits from the from the library and sticking it on my old record player and dubbing uh, Dancing Queen to a cassette. I don't think I took any other track off of that record except Dancing Queen. Years later, I got an ABBA Greatest Hits CD and that's my go-to copy of it in my collection. I also have it off of iTunes. Very easy to find on iTunes. If you can't find Dancing Queen by ABBA on iTunes, you probably didn't get very far in school. It's, you know, you look up ABBA, you look up Dancing Queen, it's right there. It, I, I just, it, to me, it's one of the quintessential 70s tracks, and it's one of those favorites, and when it comes on the radio, you gotta sing to it. Has a weird, the sound on this record, no matter what version it is, has a weird, like, tinny quality to it, or a weird, and I read that the reason it sounds the way it did is they were trying to imitate Phil Spector's mono wall of sound. It came out pretty good and it's it's unique and it's a signature sound because it's just that unique, weird, unusual type of sound for a record and it was a disco disco classic in the 1970s. Now, talking about signature songs, we're gonna take a 10 second break. And then we're going to talk about the signature song for an artist who was real big in the late 70s. And I know my first encounter with this song came because my we heard it on the radio and then my mom bought the, rec, bought the album with the song on it. Be right back in 10. And we're back. Now the next track is the signature song for one of the most familiar country artists of all time. This is a song that when we first heard it on the radio, it was one of those ones that was, so we liked it, my mom liked it so much the whole family, that she went out and bought the record. And we do have the vinyl album that this song is on. The song in question is The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. This is United Artists single number UA, dash x one two five zero dash y this was released october 1978 it peaked at number 16 on the billboard hot 100 charts and at number one on the billboard country charts this is kenny rogers signature song and he probably was relieved that this ended up his signature song because the man could have been stuck with coward of the county this the song also inspired a series of TV movies that starred Kenny Rogers, and I believe used the song as its theme song. The song was covered by Johnny Cash, Blake Shelton, and Alvin and the Chipmunks, among others. The Johnny Cash version was recorded, I believe, not long before Rogers' version. And Rogers' version is the one that became a hit because the guy who wrote it was giving it to everybody, trying to find somebody who could make it a hit. And nobody did until Kenny Rogers sang it. Interesting tidbit, the USFL team, the Houston Gamblers, 
were named after this song. And following Kenny Rogers' death in March of this year, March of 2020, the song actually hit number one on the Billboard Digital Song Sales Chart, which means for one week in 2020, the most downloaded song off of iTunes was The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, which is a pretty good tribute to the man after he passed away. Although I'm surprised it wasn't a dead heat between The Gambler and just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. This song, like I said, I remember we bought the, the 33 and a third RPM vinyl album of this. My mom actually bought two Kenny Rogers albums. She bought The Gambler and she bought the follow-up album, Kenny. Now I believe the Kenny album was the one that had Coward of the County on it. And I believe that also had Lady on it. You know, the song written by, I believe it was written by Lionel Richie that was an even bigger hit for Kenny Rogers than The Gambler, but The Gambler is his signature song. He even performed it with The Muppets on The Muppet Show. You know your song's a hit when you're asked to do it on do the song on The Muppet Show. Like I said, the album was The Gambler. I re, funny thing I vividly remember is watching the Grammys the year after, and it won the Grammy for Best Album Cover Design. I just remember that, that the the album The Gambler won Best Album Cover Design. This song is, like I said, you put in The Gambler on on iTunes, you will, you will get every copy of it that's on every Kenny Rogers Hits album, and including the original album The Gambler's there too. I saw it, is on iTunes, and you can get that track off of the album. Um... The Chipmunks, the Chipmunks version I have heard and I have a copy of it nestled away on a thumb drive off of YouTube somewhere. It's off of their album, Urban Chipmunk. And it's it it switches it from a train to a school bus. And I think the I think the whiskey is replaced with soda pop or something that they cleaned it up for the kids. But and they also did it during one of their ep- one of the episodes of the show where I think it's the one where the Chipettes and Miss Miller are at a casino. It just happens to be the same casino that the Chipmunks are performing at, and they're doing the Gambler. And I I remember that because I used to see the reruns all the time. But whenever you hear the name Kenny Rogers, this is the first song you sit the first song you think of. Anybody thinks of when they hear Kenny Rogers. Now we're gonna come to our last, we're gonna take 10 seconds and we're gonna come to our last track. This track is probably one, another one of those signature disco tracks. And it's a track that still is popular years later. And again, this is another one that we ended up with a copy of on a 33 and a third RPM album. And there was another copy of that album that met, met a rather, unfortunate fate and I'll explain that when we talk about the track be back in 10 and we're back now we come to our final track another one of the staples of disco in the 1970s and it ended up, it morphed into a staple at most sporting events. 
The track I'm talking about is YMCA by The Village People. This was Casablanca single number NB945. This was released November of 1978 and peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in early 1979. This is played at many sporting events and once was the wake-up call music on the space shuttle. Yes, they woke the crew up on the space shuttle with YMCA. In At the 2008 Sun Bowl game, 44,000 people danced to the group's live performance of this song, and that set a Guinness World Record. This, the, rec, the, the single of YMCA is one of fewer than 40 singles to sell more than 10 million copies worldwide. The famous dance, you know, the hand gesture dance that everybody does with this, that's associated with this song, it originated on an episode of American Bandstand when the band performed the song live. Uh, This is, like I said, it's, this song has wormed its way through pop culture. It was parodied in a Super Bowl ad for Pepsi with the letters P-E-P-S-I replacing Y-M-C-A. It was also featured in a scene in Wayne's World 2 and most recently most recently in my most favorite version of this it was performed at the end of Despicable Me 2 in the wedding scene by the Minions if you ever want to hear what YMCA sounds like if somebody's garbling the lyrics check that out and this isn't the only track that the Minions do that I'm going to be talking about there's another track that is done earlier, a little earlier in that movie that I am going to bring up when I talk about that particular, talk about the original version of that track. But the first time I saw Despicable Me 2, this caught me off guard. And I absolutely laughed my head off when I when I heard the garbled version of it. It is on the soundtrack to Despicable Me 2. Now, we... Back in the 70s, we heard these songs on the radio, and my mom went out of there, went out of her way to buy two Village People albums on vinyl. We had Macho Man, and we had YMCA. Now the title track from oh, no, it was Macho Man, and the album with YMCA on it was called Cruisin'. Macho Man, we'll get to later in another 70s episode, but we had the. 33 and a third vinyl album of cruising and that's where I first where we I would regularly hear hear YMCA because we would stack a bunch of records on the record player and that was one of the ones that we would play now I mentioned another copy of this album that we interacted with that uh, met a rather unfortunate fate our neighbor two doors down from us in California the Hummistons Their daughter, Patricia, who was my babysitter at the time, had an eight-track copy of this album, the album Cruisin', the one that had YMCA on it. And I had a little toy robot when I was a kid called 2XL. This was an, it was a trivia game robot thing that ran off of eight-track cassettes. They had eight-track tapes made made for 2XL that you pushed a button to answer the question and it told you whether you were right or not. Also, 2XL could be used as an 8-track cassette player. So one day we tried, she, Patricia brought over her copy of Cruisin' 
and we plugged it into 2XL and it worked. But either the tape got, I believe the tape either got chewed up or it got curled up as it was playing through there and it got ruined. And I remember that my mom had to go to the trouble of going to the store. Yes, back in the day, the store still sold eight track tapes and had to go to the trouble of buying Patricia another copy of the eight track because my 2XL robot ruined hers. But it was interesting for a few minutes to see uh, 2XL blaring out YMCA. This, like I said, this is a classic disco chestnut. You, you, you know what, what's good. When you hear the first, the opening riff to this song, you know what you're going to end up doing. I mean, I'll admit I've been to sporting events and done the dance too. Everybody gets up and does that, the little YMCA dance. And it's usually one of those feel-good moments, especially if your team's getting beat. They'll throw it on just to pep up the crowd. Well, that about wraps up this episode. And I hope you enjoyed this little walk through the 70s. I hope you learned a little more about my crazy taste in music and my somewhat eccentric family and some of the stories. And this wraps this up for the this episode, but stay tuned because the next episode coming up, we're going to the 80s. This one's going to be fun because this is going to have some very memorable, very memorable tracks from that decade. This has been Keith Phillips and K10 Music and Memories signing off. Until next time, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. See you, ne- see you next time.